This episode is brought to you by the Renovate program, a program specifically built to help busy professionals renovate their everyday to create the time to change. So here's the question. In our professional services businesses where the rules were written decades ago and the world keeps changing, how do we as experts grow our businesses, support our people, meet disruption, all while staying true to ourselves and our values so that we can thrive? That's the question. This is the In Demand Accountant. I'm Sam Dean, your host, and this show explores the answers. Stay tuned and enjoy some brave conversations. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I've got such a great conversation for you. It's probably one of my more technical conversations that we get into, but there's such a a lot of interesting stuff, how we can work collaboratively with other professional services providers in our industry. And today, I've got Mike Morklock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. They are based in Newcastle, but they have offices and representation around the country. I've used them myself, which I'll talk about in the podcast um, up here in Queensland, had a great experience. But I think what I took away from today's podcast and today's interview is very much around how we can use something that is almost second nature to us, in this case, tax depreciation for rental properties as a real means to start getting a more deeper relationship with our clients And then we also talk about the other side of quantity surveying, which I certainly was fairly ignorant around, and that's the replacement cost side um, and the costing side, which we think is really limited to commercial. But I've had an experience in using it in my own house and what a powerful experience that was and how as we go forward as in-demand accountants to get to that central advisor piece, we need to look more holistically at our clients and how we might be able to service and educate them. And that we have a really interesting conversation about that too. So both sides. So this one, as I said, we get a bit technical. So those who love numbers, we've got some in here for you. And it's also a really great about how you grow your business around the client experience and how, you know, at the end, um, Mike also gives us a tip on how he got into the, how his business and his partner's business got into the top uh, fastest 100 on the financial review in, in 2018, which is a great achievement for a professional services firm and how that was an all team play and how well that worked. And then how he uses client experience to really grow a thriving business. Anyhow, stay tuned for a great conversation. Look forward to hearing your feedback. Also jump on in the show notes. There's some links to MCG's website and some information that they're going to make available or education packs um, for accountants is going to be available down the show notes. So definitely drop down there and, and have a look. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the In Demand Accountant. I'm your host, Sam Dean. As I said in the intro, I am super excited to have Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors down in Newcastle. There seems to be just an absolute onset of inspirational business owners in Newcastle. And I think being a regional city, that's one of the reasons why. Anyhow, Mike and I are here today to talk about 
tax depreciation schedules, but then also, you know, what we can do with them in relationship building. And then also the other aspect of his business, the cost estimation side, which I think is a side that we kind of have missed it as a industry. And I have certainly been enlightened in that recently working with MCG on their business as well. So I know we're going to have an interesting conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. No problem. Can we start with you just telling us a little bit of story about yourself and the business that you own with Marty Sadler, a fellow quantity surveyor? Yeah, so I guess uh, when I was growing up in high school, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Something went terribly wrong and now I'm a quantity (laughs) surveyor. Um, What's even more disgusting than that is that I actually really love it. Uh, So Marty and I both manage different departments of another quantity surveying firm and then we decided to to buzz off and get some some moonlighting work while we created our own brand and that was back 2011. So I guess we're about 10 years in now and yeah, I guess our our mission is to to really change the way tax depreciation is is viewed and and of course at the end of the day the job is to maximise the deductions for people and we're also on a mission to protect their assets as well. Fantastic. And I think too, what interests me about your business is also the education around that. I think, you know, I was, as most people know, a tax accountant for many, many years and um, about 15 all told. And I always thought, well, tax depreciation is something that you just whack in. And, you know, we did have the schedules. In fact, up to about five or six years ago, I thought BMT was tax depreciation schedules. Um, You know, it's a fairly big firm, um, must be very good at marketing or something. And maybe they were just more, you know, impervalent in our area. But, you know, that sort of dominated it. And we kind of never questioned what else was out there um, from from a tax depreciation point of view, but also what else you could do for property owners, um, not just in the tax depreciation front, but also in the replacement cost estimates front, um, front, which we will talk about a little later on. But... Tell me about tax. From a tax depreciation point of view, what problems are you actually solving and, and what's your take on that from your lens? Yeah, so the, the vast majority of our clients and the clients of most tax depreciation companies really are residential property investors. We used to call them mum and dad property investors, but I think we've got to update that with um, the, the, the 20th, 21st century. Um, so the problem really is is that most property investors don't really achieve the goals that they set out for themselves in in getting involved in property. Uh, you know, there's 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 really not that many people uh, as a percentage of the population that get involved in in property, and the ones that do, the vast majority really only ever have one investment property. And and we think that if you're getting involved in in investing in property, your idea is to really fundamentally change your future outlook, whether that be when you retire or the amount of retirement income you have. And I think one of the problems that we solve with that is the cash flow because people go into purchasing an investment property and they don't realise how much it can take out of their pocket. And the majority of people are also negatively geared. So our job is to really lessen that burden and help them hold on to something because if you're forced to sell an investment property, you're almost certainly going to have a, a loss and a negative experience and that might be it for your wealth creation journey. Yeah, and I think that that's such an interesting slant on something that I think as tax, as sort of end, you, end tax people, we sometimes forget. It's just like what, what are these people actually doing here? Like when I see a rental property on a on a tax depreciation schedule, how can I get more curious about that and, and think about that? 
So can you tell me some stats? And because most people listening are either accountants or professional services people. And most people here, you know, listening would also own their own houses. And I would think some with rental properties. What's the stats? Like how many people go from one investment property to more? I mean, because it is the Australian dream to own as much property as possible. Yeah, so so around about 72% of property investors only ever own one property and once you you get into the five or more we're talking we're talking really only I think about 10 to 20,000 property investors do that. So we're talking fractions of a percent of people that are getting five or more. So there's a lot of lot of rhetoric coming up to the last election about the wealthy land baron landlords, but the reality is is that most property investors do only own one property and you're in really rarefied air if you're getting three or four or more. It's interesting too because, you know, as I work in this particular industry and then also other professional services industries, people talk about property investment so much, like it's a very common thing. So if 72% never get over one, you know, and how many people would actually even own one as a percentage? Yeah, so there's 1.2 million property investors at, at the moment, according to the latest ATO tax stats, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, with a lot of accountants listening will know that that's always a little bit delayed. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so we're, you know, we're, we're, talking, uh, we're talking 10% of the population uh, property investors. And it's an interesting start seeing that we're all so much in love with property, but I think that that probably comes home to their first home as opposed to, you know, increasing that. Would you agree with that? And we're really trying to go towards more relationship-based businesses as we go forward, obviously. This sounds like a really good place to start that conversation about getting a little bit more curious about your clients and, um, you know, talking about this sort of stuff because I do know a lot of people do want to own more property. Um, how, How do you actually help educate accountants or even um, property owners themselves on how to do that because I know that you have a podcast that does that and everything and it always intrigued me when I listened to the podcast that there wasn't a it was more of an education piece rather than any kind of selling around the tax depreciation joint and that you were very much around education so you can you tell me about how you do that and how you think that the relationships can expand using some of the information that you have. Yeah, look, I don't even think many people that listen to my podcast regularly would even know what I do. Um, perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll try and do a little bit better on that um, with, with your help, Sam. <laughs> yes. um, but I would encourage uh, people to, to, to change the way that they think about in property investment when you're an accountant looking at something. So, of course, you're looking at the numbers, you're thinking what's the best outcome I can get for them from a deduction point of view. But one thing that we do and we drill that into the staff is that when someone asks us for a quotation or they work with us, the first thing that we want to say is congratulations on purchasing an investment property. You obviously have become a small portion of the population that is a property investor and you're trying to do something about your financial future. And I think we often forget that it's a big deal for people. It might be the biggest decision that they ever make. So I would encourage people to be a little bit more curious and there are a lot of accountants out there that are starting to understand that if they're looking at at, at someone's position, just probing a few more questions about the strategy, what they're trying to do and depreciation is is a key thing that they can ask, you know, have you had this done before? Because there are so many property investors out there that don't have depreciation schedules that I know accountants are winning business because they're doing free 
reviews for people Mm -hmm. and one of the first things they do is they flick me an email saying, Mike, here's the address of the property. They've never had anything done on it. Is there anything in it? And if there is, they're able to say straight away, look, we think you need a depreciation schedule and our estimate is six to $7,000 back in the first year. So that's really going to blow their competition out of the water if they're talking about another firm that hasn't done that. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and, and as a tax accountant, I did hear a very scary stat. Can you tell me the stat that I um, that we were sort of, you know, Mike and I get very excited about stats, <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about um, just recently around, because we've got a lot of stats around, you know, how many people are underinsured and stuff like that, which we'll get to in a minute. But this stat really hurt my heart um, as a ex-tax um, accountant, um, because I think that this is significant. Can you throw that stat to us? Yeah, so I'm a data nerd, so you'll have to sort of forgive me with some of the stuff that we're, <laughs> we're crunching here. But Hold on, guys. Here he <laughs> yeah, comes. Hold on to your hats. <laughs> so what, what we do very regularly is we, an, we analyse a batch of 1,000 residential investment uh, property depreciation schedules that we do. So they come through our doors, mm-hmm. they go out, and we are able to capture all sorts of bits of data about them. One thing that we do capture is when they purchase the property, which is normally their settlement date, and then the date that they contacted us to engage us to prepare a depreciation schedule. Now, why that matters is because you can only back claim really two financial years worth of depreciation deductions. Yes, sometimes you can get private rulings and that sort of stuff, but to the letter of, of the law, it's it's two years of back claim. So what we actually found... Um, is that 6.7% of the 1,000 property investors that came through to us waited so long that they actually lost some depreciation deduction. So what I'm saying is that they took longer than the two years to get in touch with us. Um, so we actually found that by not having a depreciation schedule, investors lost an average of 3.58 years worth of deductions. And and that figure per, per loss, per individual investor was $20,537 worth of deductions that they just left on the table. Sorry. So you're telling me that 67 out of a thousand, which is a significant amount of people, basically had left 20 grand on the table. Yeah. And what's worse than that is that that's people that eventually found their way to us, right? So there's a whole group of investors out there somewhere in the ether that haven't figured out that they need to get in touch with us. So in a way, the people that come to us to get a depreciation schedule are somewhat educated, right? There's a lot of people out there that just don't even understand or know what's going on. And we've captured a few of those people that you really just shake your head. Like we had a, pardon me, a property uh, uh, that was purchased 16 years uh, prior to contacting us and it was a unit purchased off the plan. You know, mm-hmm. when it comes to depreciation deductions, brand new units off the plan in, in bigger complexes are, you know, they're the, they're the the golden egg of the goose, right? There's massive deductions. So that individual investor left somewhere around $60,000 worth of deductions on the table. So that could have been... I don't know, 15, 20 grand out of her pocket. So, I mean, those sorts of things do actually keep me up nights. Well, yeah, and um, it's surprising because I thought, think that, I think, guys, anyone who out there who has a, a firm with t- tax depreciation, which I'm, I'm going to assume quite a few of you do, this is such a great opportunity to get ahead of 
the market and also get new clients in? Because I think Mike said something really interesting there. This is not necessarily people who are on our databases, but there's a lot who are uneducated. And this is one of the things that we can really show ourselves so they don't just go and lodge online or lodge with unqualified, uh, and by unqualified, I mean, you know, um, accountants who aren't really looking at their best interests. And I think there's a whole lot of marketing and stuff that you can do. And I know that Mike has a lot of education pieces, not just for your for your staff as well as for your um, clients that make it an easy sell. And I think we might just segue into there is how you've worked collaboratively. I think one of our biggest challenges as professionals, as experts, is to work collaboratively with all the other experts. You know, Mike, what's your thought on this and how can we, particularly going into the tax planning season, which we are now, obviously there's some really good good opportunities in the next three months to um, start either drumming up new clients or, you know, really feeling and maybe even taking taking the focus, you know, away from what's happened in the last sort of 18 months and focus it on property and things that people actually like to talk about um, from a tax planning point mm. of view. And, and property's going gangbusters at the moment. So if people aren't investing in it, they're talking about investing it because mm-hmm. we are a property-obsessed uh, country. I, I see property investing as a as a team sport um, yeah. and you really need to treat it like a business. So you, you need all of the individuals as part of your team and you're really kind of the CEO or the coach of that team, right? So you you need people like buyers, agents and mortgage brokers and quantity surveyors on your team. And I see no real difference to to people that are in the property services industry, which I think accountants are are definitely part of that. And they're, they're really the gatekeepers, right? So if they're not mentioning tax depreciation, there's a big chance that that's lost for that property investor. But what we're trying to do is bring that uh, a little bit further forward towards the transaction. We'll talk to to buyers agents who are who are doing the scouting um, for property investors and mention tax depreciation to them, to conveyances, to property managers. And property managers are a good example um, of of understanding the importance of having a little bit of a team to broaden your service offering. Now. Um, most property managers aren't getting any kickbacks for mentioning tax depreciation, but it enables them to be seen a little bit more than a rent collector. They're more of a portfolio manager. So we know that there are property managers that are going to their management presentations wanting to take on the management of an investment property and they'll contact us and they'll say, we're, we're about to go and talk to this landlord. What sort of deductions do you think are available? So when they go in there, they're compared to their competition who's not doing that. And the property managers that have quantity surveyors and they understand the basics, you know, they have the connections with all of the trades and the services and the smoke alarm people and all that sort of thing, they're just, they're just winning the game. So I would encourage accountants and all property professionals to, to gather a, a team together. And it's really nice not that hard. I mean, we say to people all the time, make us do the homework, you know, mm. flick us an email, an SMS, a smoke signal, <laughs> whatever's easy for you. Like, don't make it hard on yourself. We'll do the research and we'll either say there's value in it or there's not. And if there's value in it, then it's putting more money back in the, the client's pocket than what it costs. And you get to be that person that told them to go and get a depreciation schedule and put money back in their pocket. And they remember you for that and they thank you for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's a way to really connect and then also have a client that possibly could grow even bigger 
um, because, you know, from investment properties and, and other things, it usually means that they have either reasonable wealth or they've got plans for such as well. One thing I was curious about when I started working with you guys that I didn't know about at all is the other side of the quantity surveying business, and that's the cost the cost side. But more importantly, I think what while we might only have 10% of people with an investment property that might do your tax depreciation schedule, we have a significant amount of, you know, much, much higher stat of people who own their own homes. And while the 67 out of 1,000 shocks me to death, the 83% of homes that are underinsured, mine included, I found out, you know, particularly given the um, style of country <laughs> that we live in, which keeps hammering us with everything, mm-hmm. this stat is not that they, correct me if I'm wrong, that they can't get insurance like flood insurance and stuff. This means that whatever they're putting on as their cost replacement for their house is uh, is significantly, you know, under what they would need. So. So, you know, every, everyone and most of our clients would have a house <laughs> that they would insure in some way. And I went, well, you know, because as I do with any businesses that I'm working with, I really yeah. un- want to understand the product. So I went and got replacement cost estimate report. And the value I got out of it was not that I was underinsured because statistically I knew I was going to be, but the information and the process that it gave me about my biggest asset, which is my house, and the stuff that I just didn't realize. And I think what woke me up there was, I think that there's this whole element of what you guys do on the, on the other side. Mike's a, t- a tax depreciation quantity surveyor, his business partner. Marty does the cost estimation stuff, but he can obviously still talk to this, that we might have missed as an opportunity. I think as we go forward as a holistic advisors and central advisors, as you know, most people who want to be in demand want to be, this is a really important piece because this also is only a step away from the tax depreciation schedules. And so I would really like to get your thoughts on that um, and some of your frustrations. I understand that, you know, replacement cost estimates are a cost that isn't necessarily deductible and you don't get money back, but it got me peace of mind. I was then able to go to my insurance broker and there's another astounding stat on how many people don't have insurance brokers. Um, and I found out why you need one because she sat down and took me through all of the, the information. She too went the, you know, the quality of the report and the estimation. She was able to line it up with my insurance policies and then gave me the information that I could make a conscious decision as to where I want my insurance to sit. Fortunately, she's a great insurance broker and anyone who wants one, I'll I'll give you her details as well. And mine had all the excess things on it. Like I had no idea how much it costs to like clean up a site. You know, you're holding costs on average of a property. So I took my costs and kind of doubled them. And so while I was 800,000, I think underinsured at the bottom line, I, I ended up being only three or four two or 300, which is still significant. But then I was able to make decisions. And for me, the value of that was astronomical. And the actual cost of it was only around $600. So it was the information I got out of my house was probably the most I have in the the 20 year of owning it. So rabbit it on a bit Mm -hmm. there. But can you tell me about that? And what I think is is one of the more interesting areas that I think we need to expand, um, particularly from, from in, in the quantity surveying and how as a holistic wealth advisors that we can help our clients protect their biggest asset. I think it's something that really education is is lacking on. We, we don't realise that 83% of, of 
of homeowners or investment property owners are underinsured. And you raised a really good point. Um, you made a, a tactical decision to underinsure by a certain margin, right? But before then, you, you, you weren't really doing it based on any proper methodology with all due respect. Um, so no, my husband thought that we would come in over. Yeah. And most people, and I think, you know, people can be easily guilty of that because I can remember before I knew anything about this, sitting in my my dodgy house, um, seeing a commercial for a four-bedroom, you know, Masterton home or or whatever, and and that was $220,000 to build. And I thought, that's way better than my house. So if I insure myself for that, then like that'll cover it. But what... um, angry mother nature doesn't necessarily do is perfectly clear the site for you, right? And my particular property was built a little bit too close to the boundary. So if it was demolished, we wouldn't be able to create the same thing again. It just kind of wouldn't work. There are planning costs. Of course, I just mentioned the demolition, the, the cost escalations. There's there's all sorts of things that go into a replacement cost estimate that people don't uh, really realise or understand. So I, I think people just don't necessarily realize that they're underinsured and a big a big finger that i want to point at is the online calculators and you know if you just compare them such as we did uh, in a bit of a research project where marty did a very detailed estimate on a property that he was working with the developer on so we really knew exactly what it cost to build we chucked in all of those same details into five calculators and the variance was was wild right um none None of them really adequately covered the replacement cost for the property, and and the and the range between them was was just quite farcical, right? So I just don't think people realise, and and yes, it, it can be a little bit uh, of a harder product to sell, right? With tax depreciation, it's tax deductible; you get money back in your pocket. You get a, a replacement cost estimate for insurance. Chances are you're underinsured and your premium needs to go up. But people have got to understand, and they're putting all this effort into to building a portfolio. If they're an investor, or if they're not a property investor, a bit like you say yourself, your, your largest asset is your own home. You might be happy to 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 have a little bit of risk built in, but if you're going to do that, you need to know exactly how much risk is built into it. Otherwise, you can really find yourself in trouble and Mother Nature is angry and getting angrier and the insurance companies have been looking at this for 20 or 30 years while our politicians argue about whether climate change is real, right? So they they know that it's happening. <laughs> Yeah, and it's such an interesting thing. And I think as we go forward and to, you know, bring our firms and the education piece of, you know, what where accountants sit because, you know, nine out of ten people will sit on, particularly business owners, will sit with accountants. And this is such a great education piece and it's an easy piece. You just grab these guys have uh, MCG, for instance, has, you know, so much information um, and education pieces around this. Um, they're so passionate about protecting um, our biggest assets. As as we know, Australians are property obsessed. And I can tell you the experience was fantastic from my own point of view. Plus, I got lots of lovely photos of my property. And I, I really hadn't seen my property all in one neat report probably ever before. We've owned it for over 20 years. We've extended it a couple of times. 
And I was kind of looking at it going, well, not all the buildings and everything will go at once. So really, do we need to do this? Because I went through with my insurance broker what our, and I now know exactly what our insurance does and does not do, because I think that that was such an interesting conversation as well. I highly recommend having that with your insurance brokers. And, but then my husband looked at me and went, we're in a bushfire area. <laughs> I just went, oh yeah. So it's not out of the realms that, um, you know, because he's a real fireman. So that, that this is happening. But to me, it was such an interesting education piece and the value I got out of it was exponential. So if we can get over the fact that it's not tax deductible, people will spend money on what they value and what they value is their house. And if we can educate them in our firms around this stuff, it's what we make them feel too. So we get their tax right, of course, and these products can go together. And, um, you know, onwards and upwards. And I just think this is such an interesting place to start because the, the obviously homeowners is a much bigger base um, going forward than even, you know, business owners are. There's so much more of them. So, um, yeah, you know, that was a big education um, process for me. I love learning things and I learn a lot and about my biggest asset. So thanks for that. No, it's a pleasure. And I, we can't blame accountants for not being aware of it because insurance brokers aren't. No, yeah. you don't know what you don't insurance know. Insurance <laughs> brokers are, are, are late to the party understanding construction costs. That's not mm-hmm. their area of expertise. I mean, as quantity surveyors, our, our bread and butter is, is we're the best people to say how much something costs to build. So so we're really on a mission to, to change that. And I think accountants are really great at setting up things like, you know, your income protection insurance and that sort of stuff because that's much more obvious, right? And I can remember the people of mine and getting all that sorted. So if I got hit by a bus, my family's going to be okay and all that sort of stuff. But it's that silent epidemic of, of underinsurance. The education just isn't there. Um, and, and we want to tackle, tackle our mission on those two prongs of, of getting the deductions for people, but also giving them the peace of mind that they're protected. Absolutely. And just as an aside on that online stuff, you know, my insurance broker and I, even she said, they're so complicated that will take you more like hours and hours to do it. And so for me, um, I think it's $600, you know, it was, it's a no brainer, particularly when I heard the stats on, on how bad it is. So there you go, guys, if you want to build a, um, a different kind of relationship with your clients and you have people who have property, either property investments or um, houses, which, you know, a lot of people do, please have a conversation with these guys. It's it's really good. I think that the this is a sleeper that we can bring out and, you know, is, is fairly, it's it's not new, but it, I, it to me it's kind of been gleaned over, particularly around the, from our areas, but all areas, from, from an insurance broker area, property development and everything. I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. No, not at all. And um, mm. we want to try and make it easier for people, which is why we came up with the, the flat fee. And that's for commercial property as well, if it's, uh, if it's under $10 million. So that covers the vast majority of things. The reason why we put that cap in there is we didn't want the opera house coming through um, for an <laughs> estimate for 600 bucks and, and go bankrupt. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time we've, we've done buildings that are over, over $10 million purchase price for the $600 anyway because it's just a big warehouse and we have plans and it's not terribly sophisticated. But, yeah, we're, we're hoping that at that price point it removes one of the blocks because we know with insurance brokers they're, they're saying, oh, you know, it's a bit of a pain getting the client to do anything and if we have to get a quote and then it comes back, then we've got to get them to sign off on it. So we've sort of removed that quote thing for, for most commercial properties. And, yeah, for resi properties, 
properties, it's 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 pretty easy. And and if you look at anything that the RBA publishes about the wealth of individuals, it's all real estate. It's all in our own homes. So the, the, being underinsured in that is is a huge risk to the country. I think too. Um, can you just? Tell the difference between having your property valued and having a replacement cost because the replacement cost of my house is way more than my property is valued at. Yeah. So so there's a big difference between a, a market value and a replacement cost value because we, we do depreciation schedules, for example, where the total deductions are actually higher than the purchase price and that can make ve- uh, accountants very nervous. Um, but the reality in that particular instance is that it wasn't an arm's length transaction mm. or there was a reason why that price was depressed. And people sort of say, you know, I, I've got a, a, an $8 million place so it must have great deductions and there's even QS firms that say, you know, about 60% of the purchase price is depreciation. But we did have an $8 million place uh, on Sydney's eastern suburbs where we said there's actually no value in a depreciation schedule, so we can't recommend it because it was a it was a mansion but built in the 50s and left alone for whatever reason, right? So there's no, there's no value in it. So the market value includes you know, market premiums, it, it includes the land component, which is not part of, of a replacement cost estimate. But it's those things like the, the cost of the uh, consultants and the planning and the time to rebuild and the demolition. And, and, and often this insurance work is, is much more expensive for people that are, that are coming in to do the work than building a brand new project home on a nice laser level block. Yeah, it's um, such such an interesting space for me. As I as I as I said, I thought you guys were <laughs> fairly boring until I had, of course, a podcast with you guys and um, realized not so much. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't call us rock and roll, but we, you know, we're we're aware that it's a pretty it's a pretty dry uh, topic, and and I guess accountants are, are probably lumped with the same thing. So we, you know, we try and have we try and have fun with it, and we do actually really enjoy it. So you know, we, we, you've got to have a laugh, haven't you? Oh, yeah, you do. Um, so, guys, a couple of things that I was taking away from that is that definitely look at – I love their approach, uh, what you said, uh, Mike, on that when someone bought their first property or you, you said that, you know, congratulations, well done. And if that's okay, I think, you know, we, we accountants who get new clients in or even have existing clients could do campaigns on that to say, hey, you know, you're in the top 10% of – property investors in Australia and, and stuff like that, you know, jump on MCG's website and I'm sure that there's some information on that. And then the other one is, yeah, look at the collaboration of all the property, not just the ones that either have income or deductions off them uh, because that makes up a way more of your portfolio of assets within I think we, we sometimes ignore the family home because we can't do anything with it from a tax point of view or from a from a wealth point of view, it kind of gets ignored. But from a protection point of view, which is one of our jobs, it's one of the most important assets in anyone's portfolio. So to how to holistically approach that, how to message it, you know, bring home this extra value that we want to for our clients. So two great takeaways. So Mike, we always end off with, you know, three tips. Professional services businesses, I think, are all in the same in the same lanes at the moment as far as how do we go forward and grow our businesses and keep ourselves sane and and healthy. So what are your three tips going forward, whether business-related or personal? I'm sorry to say I feel very underqualified for for giving (laughs) tips. Um, And, you know, once we jagged our way onto the 
bottom end of the Fast 100, people started asking, you know, what did you do and all that sort of stuff. And, and I just feel like a bit of an imposter. But I can tell you what's definitely worked for us. I think it's really important to, to, to get a coach. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. That's a pretty mm-hmm. uh, terrible place to be. One thing that we became really obsessed about was the client experience and it's an exercise that we do internally every little while. Um, I'll talk to my EA, um, Bell, and say, I want to know every time we talk to someone from the beginning of the experience to the end, what is the communication, what's the frequency, what are we saying, when are we celebrating, how does it work? And that starts with, you know, congratulations on getting an investment property. And this might be mm-hmm. a person that's just ringing up saying, my accountant said I need a depreciation sheet, I don't know what it is, you know, discuss, right? Mm. So we, we want to do that uh, from start to finish because every time we talk to the client, it's an opportunity, we see it, um, to, to explain to them that we're across it, that they don't need to worry where it's up to, that they're informed and we can also celebrate as well. You know, we've, we've booked the inspection with your property manager, it's in three days. We've finished the inspection, our tax depreciation boffins are working on it. So that's, <laughs> that's something that I think um, is really, really important. And and I think celebrating the wins, that's probably a mistake that, that we made. We, we just sort of got used to rapid growth and we thought that it was normal. We've actually learned much more in, in times where the market was a little bit more difficult than when it was easy. And it makes me kind of wish that we, we didn't take that stuff for granted. You know, you hear people like Tim Ferriss saying that he likes to sleep on the floor every couple of weeks just to remind him that he's got it pretty good, right? I, I think celebrating the wins is, is really, really important, something that we haven't done enough. And, you know, business is tough. It's hard. It can be lonely. Uh, and, and, you know, if you've got something to be proud of, you've had a good quarter or you've won an award or you've got good employee satisfaction, then, you know, give yourself a pat on the bad. Go out, go out to lunch, you know, have a Shiraz. That's my go-to. Um, <laughs> sparkling mineral water if you're Sam Dean. Um, so so, so <laughs> yes. those, those are my sort of haphazard, uh, underqualified three tips. Well, I think, you know, the celebrating the wins. Did you like how he just snuck in that he was on the top MCG Condi surveyors were on the top um, 100 um, financial review fastest growing in what, 2017, I think it was. 2018, 2018. Yeah, this, I think this is technically called a humble brag. Um, <laughs> but my point, my point was, is that that like I kind of thought winning that list would would really make us. Um, what actually happened is that the financial review said, all right, it's you know twelve hundred dollars for the marketing pack to say that you've won it. So it actually cost us money rather than than winning money. But um, it did get us a little bit more attention. We had a com- couple of companies wanting to buy us, um, and we had people saying, you know, how did you do it? What was the key in it? It really forced me to think. Well, like, what did we do that we think actually made a, a difference? And and you know, the client experience was probably the, the the biggest one for us. Yeah, I think too, all your team working to one goal. Like, there was a definite focus. I, I wasn't with you at that time, but there was a very clear goal in that one, wasn't there? As opposed to, um, you know, if you don't have that clear clear goal. Um, yeah. And it's and it's been it's been hard to sort of re-replicate that, right? Because I studied yeah. the the financial review list and I re- and I looked at the last eight years and what was the the annual turnover um, increase that would get us in ninety ninth position? You know, because hundredth was was cutting it too fine. We ended in ninety first, so we had a bit of fluff, right? Um, and then we just 
turned everything uh, in the business around and, and reverse engineered it for that. So every single goal in the business was, okay, what do we need to do? You know, we need to do 50% um, revenue growth in that final year to, to guarantee the spot in our view. So everyone's working towards that. And that was a fun time. And now we're just uh, looking at the new challenge of, of what's the big ballsy goal that we want to go for. Well, we're working on that right now, um, and it is a big ballsy girl, I'll tell you, everybody. Um, we don't have any hags here. This is big and ballsy. Anyhow, <laughs> thank you so much, Mike. That was, as always, a, a really fantastic conversation, and I hope everyone just got the tips on how to get onto the top 100, if that's one of your goals, um, for fastest growing. And um, that's certainly how I would recommend anyone does it, is find out what you need to do and, and then get there in there and, and do it. Then obviously we need to then maintain that so as always to everyone out there thank you so much for your time to listening to us please continue the conversation and be brave thank you mike cheers thank you so much for your time we work super hard on helping professional services experts to create time in their everyday to create change if that sounds like you jump on blueprinthq.com.au to book a free consultations so we can continue the conversation. And as always, be brave.